back. Welcome back to the AF4C podcast. I am your host, Adam. And man, this is going to be a special episode. This is going to be one of our interview uh, segments. And I'm interviewing my friend, Kelly, who has an extraordinary story, an extraordinary testimony. But of course, before we jump into this episode, let us run this anchor ad and pay some bills. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the <laughs> welcome back. Welcome back to the Avid4C podcast. I'm your host, of course, Adam. And uh, man, this episode is going to be amazing, ladies and gentlemen. This my friend Kelly has such an amazing testimony. I, I I've I've heard about her story, and in this interview, is actually the first time me hearing her testimony. And I'm telling you, it's a blessing. Um, I'm gonna say this now and I'll say it later at the end, but share this podcast with people who you will know are are in dark spots and need to hear about God's saving and redeeming grace because that is what is all over this story so without further ado let's jump right into this podcast episode so Miss Kelly (laughs) Um, uh, I'm glad thank you for the opportunity to interview you and for you to share your life with me and um because from what i've heard just from like the the scattered stories you have a a tremendous story um and knowing you for the short time that i have um hearing some of the stories and then meeting a person it's just like man god has done some awesome things with you so you know before we get into like all that deep stuff um who is kelly now you know like Mm -hmm. so tell us a bit about yourself well, I'm a mom of two. I have a little boy and a little girl. I'm married now. Um, I've been with Dan for almost nine years, mm-hmm. and I'm a licensed massage therapist. We are hobby farmers, so we homestead, and we have a property that we take care of, and our goal is to be self-sufficient, and we fully rely on God for all of our needs. So we are followers of Christ, and we try to be obedient and um, live out His will for us. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so h- how long have you guys been married, you and Dan? We've been married five years. Mm-hmm. And you, you have how many kids? Two kids. Two. Yes. Okay. And so how was that? Were you always living on a homestead thing or like what was that beforehand? So we actually started out in my parents' house mm-hmm. and uh, we were saving money and Dan and I started out with nothing when we met each other. We didn't even have licenses. We didn't have vehicles. Um, and so we kind of like built... Um, from the ground up. And so when we moved out of my parents' house, we were blessed enough to find a house that um, a guy who I believe was an answered prayer, Mm -hmm. uh, because Dan and I moved down to North Carolina on a prayer. And um, I feel like the guy that allowed us to, um, we did like a home for rent um, or rent to own, and it gave us the opportunity to own a house. Otherwise, we would have never been able to. And It was on half of an acre. So, no, mm. we did not start homesteading. But I did start learning and prepping um, to to eventually move on to a piece of land like we're on now. So, we started off with, like, chickens and gardening and stuff like that. How, how did you guys start? How did you guys learn farming? 
we're self-taught. I mean, we took a little bit of like what his mom knew and like my mom knows a little bit of gardening and stuff, yeah. but we kind of met some mentors down here who, oh, cool. who kind of introduced us to animals and stuff and, um, hunting. Dan learned a lot of hunting, um, skills down mm-hmm. here and, and YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like YouTube is a great connector. Like, yes, it could either yeah. do really awful things yeah. or just make you into yeah. like a farmer. And you can find everything I on know, YouTube. Everything. It's so crazy. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you're, you have this, we're actually, we're recording this podcast in your kitchen, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Lovely, small kitchen. Yeah, cozy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I've had a, some time to spend with you and Dan and the kids and, um, I know Dan is ex-military. He's mm-hmm. awesome guy. Um, you know, you guys go out hunting. Your family's very, uh, I guess you could say homestead oriented. Like you guys are like almost Amish. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you guys are almost Amish. And it's, it's great. I look up to them actually. Yeah, I know. They're pretty good. They're <laughs> yeah. pretty good, you know, uh, riding pigs and stuff, but. The children are, um, you know, and the thing I, I like the most about you is that you guys are, um, like we were talking before the podcast, uh, striving to do the best, you know, as perfectly or imperfect as you, you can. Yeah. Um, so you, we're, we're filming, we're not filming this, but we're recording this across from your new house. And, um, I initially wanted to do the podcast in that and have like a visual thing and, Maybe sometime in the future we'll, we can do something like that. But the reason was because I felt like the new house, like your house that is being built for you and Dan, which is so like on the... Yeah. Mind-blowing. <laughs> it's a huge thing, <laughs> yeah. right? And, you know, I, I picked that because I, the emptiness of the house, it, it means so much. It, it was mm-hmm. that new beginning. You guys mm-hmm. were struggling you were renting everybody else's stuff and mm-hmm. using everybody else's stuff. And now mm-hmm. there is a new house that's being built for you, right? Yeah. If there's anything that's more Jesus-y yeah. in this tone, it's, it's, it's something like that. But, and I feel like this is like the happy, I don't want to say happy ending, right? Because the Christian mm-hmm. walk is, didn't just stop here. But, right. Um, there's still so much more. Yeah, there's so much more <laughs> yeah. that needs to be done. Yeah. Uh, but it's so cool because these are things like, you know, Man, we finally, like, this is ours. Like, yeah. that feeling is is amazing. So, I mean, before this moment in your life, there was Kelly before Christ, right? Yes, yeah. Um, so, bring me through, like, Kelly before Christ. Like, like where were you born? Let's start there with your yeah. family and then kind of work around. Yeah, so I was born in Ridgewood, New Jersey, and I grew up in um, a town called West Milford. Who also, um, uh, that town has a lot to do with who I am as a person because mm-hmm. it's, you know, um, deeply rooted in hiking and fishing and we spent a lot of time outdoors. Mm-hmm. So I feel my most self when I'm doing those things because it reminds me the most of like my childhood. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in the woods <laughs> and we made forts and we, um, as my mom would call it, like, you know, hitting sticks against trees and just like, you know, being like little forest kids. Um, so I grew up in West Milford and I did a lot of sports as a kid. Like I loved doing softball, cheerleading. I tried soccer, basketball. 
I was really close with my grandmothers as well. They always brought me to church. We went to a Catholic church, and so I made my communion, my confirmation in church. I was part of the choir, and um, I always really strived hard at getting good grades and excelling. Um, I was a people pleaser as a kid, so I seeked that approval from mm. men a lot. And um, I also at the same time was very insecure and I always felt a void because in the Catholic religion it was a lot about religion right mm -hmm. it was in, it was about rituals I watched my grandma um, be really close with Jesus but through her rituals and so I knew of God but I didn't know God mm -hmm. so um, as a kid I always felt like I had like a hole inside me that I was trying to fill and I'm a very extreme person so I would try like really, really good things and really, really bad things. And um, I went from like zero to 100 in middle school where um, all my insecurities came out. I stopped doing sports and I tried drugs for the first time. Um, I lost my virginity when I was 12. What, what, what led to the drugs? Was it more like, because you know how we tend to, if something's missing at home, then we tend to fill the void there. Mm -hmm. So what was that situation like with mom and dad and all that? So they were very distracted with their own things. Um, my dad worked three jobs at one point um, mm. to make ends meet. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, but she was a very... Um, she was a caregiver for her parents who right. who had Alzheimer at the, Alzheimer's at the time, and she would go back and forth to like nursing homes, and she tried to sell the house, and it just became a huge distraction to mm. her. So I didn't have a lot of parental guidance at the time. Um, so when I met new friends in middle school, I was introduced, and it kind of became like a, a way to feel good. Mm. Yeah. yeah, okay. So, I mean, after you started doing the drugs and stuff like that, like, where did everything start to go? Well, I tried really hard at balancing everything for a long time, which was completely exhausting. Mm. So I, I made varsity cheerleading when I was a freshman, which is like unheard of. So mm. we did a lot of competitive stuff. We traveled nationally. Mm. And if I didn't have that, I think I would have lost the grip of life like a lot sooner like I, I would have like really unraveled a lot sooner mm. but I was able to at least get by um, my dream was to be an elementary school teacher so I kept that hope too and you know I, I knew I had to get to college somehow mm. so I I just got by so right. like it was like I didn't I didn't succeed totally at high school, but I didn't completely fail and drop out, thank God. But um, I was the one that got into a lot of fights. Um, I chased boys, you know, for my self-worth. Mm -hmm. um, so it wasn't just drugs. I really tried to fill that void with everything back then. I really did. Looking back now, I can see, like, I was really, really lost. Like, I was, like, chasing anything to make yeah. me feel good so after high school mm -hmm. um who was kelly um well i was like a lost soul like i ran away um i ran to florida i packed my stuff and at that time i was using a lot of pills mm. so like oxycontin and um 
Xanax and stuff. And that was when I really noticed, okay, I'm addicted because I would get sick if I didn't use them. Mm, So that was like, that was like a huge turning point in, in my self worth because I was like, okay, I can no longer just get by without people really noticing because I was getting dope sick. Mm. So it scared me. And I left New Jersey in hopes of finding myself and finding like, I don't know, a groove in life. Um, and when I got down to Florida, um, unfortunately, I got into a very abusive relationship. Mm. And that was also very new to me because I always was a very alpha person in the relationship. And so when I became... Um, like the extreme opposite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so all I, all I did was like live for that person. Mm. Um, and I fed our addiction through things um, like... That was when I prostituted for the first time. I mm-hmm. became a stripper at a strip club so he could stay high and I could stay high and we could live life. Mm-hmm. And uh, we lived in a truck in Walmart parking lot for weeks at a time. Uh, we were homeless. I would shower at the beach at the public shower. What was your mindset? like? Ride or die. In those moments. Yeah. Ride or die. So I you- was his ride or die. It was, I didn't feel like a victim. Mm. Now looking back retrospect, yeah, I was because well, well, he he was thirty two, I was eighteen. Right. So he knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. I would have died for him. Yeah. Um. In fact, at one point we were living at a house. Uh, we rented a room, and the people in the house were selling crack, and we were there for like three days. And the cops raided the house at five o'clock in the morning, like guns to the head, full blown raid. Mm. Um. We had pills in our room and stuff like that, and I knew he had a rap sheet. I knew he would go to prison, and I knew I never had a charge. So I told the cops everything they found was mine, and I went to jail for him. That was the first time I was ever arrested. In those moments, did you ever feel like, because I'm obviously saying that you, like you understand, like I've dealt with teenagers who were in a very similar situation where I had to ask them, I'm like, did you ever feel like in those moments, whether it was on the stage dancing, whether it was just any relationship, really feeling like you loved the person, have you ever felt like, I don't want to do this? Like, mm-hmm. there's always, like, a moment mm-hmm. of clarity that yes. gets fogged up really quick. Absolutely. Yeah. And in that moment of clarity, it would be like, I'm not going to do this forever. I know I'm not. This is not what I'm meant to do. I know this is not my purpose. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to die like this. Like, there's no way. I can't. Yeah. But the drugs would have me so addicted that like I really was left with no choice. Mm -hmm. And at that time I wasn't really fully aware of the resources like NA. Um, of course I wasn't saved yet. So I didn't even think of like, I actually did go to a Catholic church and I knew that wasn't the answer. As soon as I walked in the sanctuary, I was like, (laughs) um, no, but when, um, I didn't even know how to like get into a detox. Like I knew nothing about addiction at all. Mm -hmm. Like I was like, Honestly, I was like a child still. Yeah. So, um, going through all of that, uh, I imagine you went to like, how, first, how did you escape that relationship? Um, the way I escaped was that I, I begged my mom on the phone. We, we actually, we moved into a trailer, this person and I, we had no food whatsoever. We had no electricity. Mm. It was hot, grueling summer in Florida. Um, I was so dope sick. I was on the floor in a fetal position, just like couldn't move. I called my mom like in tears, like I need help, like help. She was broke, really, really broke. So she 
actually sold some of her family heirlooms to get me a flight to Mm. New Jersey. And when I got off the plane, she took me right to Bergen Regional Hospital where I got into detox. I had told him at the airport, I'm going to get clean and I'll help you next. Like, um, I'll come back for you. I'll do whatever I can. I'll come and get, you know, after I get clean, we'll finish up. Like, we'll live out our life together. Um, Once I had that moment of clarity at detox, I was like, I'm never going back to him. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was abusive. Yeah. Physically, mentally, emotionally. Yeah, everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, at, at what point did you, like, meet Christ or any... Oh. Any invitation? Oh, there is a like there is a definitive moment. Mm-hmm. So I was at detox, my first time ever being on detox, and they had NA meetings every day, and I would go to these NA, NA meetings, and I would just hear war stories, and it just didn't feel like it was my answer of how I was gonna get help. Yeah. So I was in my hospital bed, and a nurse came to me, and I was cr- I cried myself to sleep at this moment. The nurse came knocking on the door, and she was like, Kelly, there's a woman here holding a women's meeting. I was like, no, I'm good. Like, NA is not for me. And she was like, oh, no, this is different. This is like a woman's rehab non-profit um, Christian-based program that she's coming to speak from. And I was like, oh, that sounds different because I didn't have insurance either at the time. Yeah. So she um, was sitting in the day room, sitting on a chair, and, like, she had, like, this radiance about her. It almost was like she was glowing. And I was, like, so drawn to her. I was like, wow, there's something special about her. Mm. So I sat down with an open mind, open ears. And when she told me her testimony, it felt like it was... It felt like it was me 20 years from then. Like, because she had just gotten clean like a year before that and she was like 40 something. I was like, wow, like, I don't, I don't want to struggle till I'm 40. Like, but like, I could have what she has now. Like, if I just do what she's telling me to do, like, Mm -hmm. I can, like, literally follow the light that I saw. And so she said her answer was Jesus, and I was willing to do anything to not go back to the situation I was in. So I decided to go to that that place, which was the Walter Hoving Home Hmm. in Garrison, New York. And and somewhere in between that time where you went into the Walter Hoving Home, you said? Walter Hoving Home, yeah. Hoving Home. uh, That's where your relationship with Christ connected, where you're like, I need to surrender my life to God and... Yeah, it took a few days once I got there because I was still kind of detoxing from the drugs. So, like, I was still having, like, the night shakes and, like, I couldn't sleep and eat because I was, like, nauseous and stuff. But um, but after that first week, I surrendered. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember falling to my knees in the chapel just, like, giving my whole life, like, this is it. Do, like, I tried it my way and it didn't work. I want to try your way mm-hmm. talking to Jesus. So Yeah. And so was there... Because for some of us, um, you know, we have those moments where it's like, bomb immediately come to Jesus moment. Everything's like, oh, all the cursing stopped and all of that. And then some of us, there's a progressive um, timeline in which things begin to fall off each day. Like, mm-hmm. it's like a steady... Yeah, like a shedding. Right. Yeah. That is that is what happened to me. I feel like if God had revealed everything all at once, I probably would have gone really overwhelmed and scared and would have ran. Mm-hmm. But he did it so gracefully with me that, like, each day that I was there and that I was open to and obedient to whatever he wanted to show me that I either needed to change or surrender and give up, it was so graceful, like, 
I was just so open to the whole thing and I was there 11 months. Mm. So um, I also got to like work in the outreach department where I was taught how to tell my testimony and I would go to jails and detoxes and um, we would travel with a choir to go to different churches and I would speak at those events. Um, I actually even got to go to Prague um, mm-hmm. on a mission um, in the Czech Republic. Okay. Through this what what Prague is? Just... Oh, Prague is a is a country in the Czech Republic that is run by very corrupt government. Mm-hmm. So they don't have a lot of religion at all. Like, yeah. and so Very they have story. like, yeah. And they have like drug addicts, like shooting up in parks in the public. Mm-hmm. It's a really, really dark city. Yeah. Um, so we went there and we started a woman's shelter. Um, and it had like no walls, nothing it was just like a stone building. And so we put up sheetrock and put down carpet and we tiled like the bathrooms and stuff. And then at night we would go around with interpreters and try to get women to listen to yeah. like what Christ has done in our life and um, and basically just testify and spread the gospel. And do you think that, because I, I mean, like I said, this last couple of days that we've had to um, spend with you and your family, what I've noticed is that your desire to help people mm-hmm. is just, you know, phenomenal. Like just a couple of days ago, we did an outreach that you would organize to, you know, you asked people to donate some stuff and then mm-hmm. you found the people who needed this stuff and you went and, you know, we all went with you and mm-hmm. you just taking a charge. You're like, all right, we're going to go here. We're going to go here. Yeah. We help all these people. We prayed for these people. And it was a, a huge blessing. And I can only, I can only wonder how much of that helps you in your walk with Christ. Absolutely. Yeah. It keeps it really green for me too. Like mm-hmm. I remember, like it was yesterday, where those people are at, yeah. and I don't ever want to forget really what it was like to be on that on that side of things because it keeps me grateful. And also, when I was at the Walter Hoving home, I got taught how to how to testify and how to spread the gospel, mm-hmm. but also with the Holy Spirit. You know, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't it's not it's not I can't take the credit. I can't. All the glory goes to God. Yeah. So also, I relapsed after leaving the Walter Hoving home. I was only 20 at the time. Mm-hmm. And so that ministry was great. It taught me a lot of things, and it gave me a good foundation in Christ. But if it wasn't for other people that kept planting seeds, mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't be where I'm at today. Mm-hmm. That was a great foundation, but I want to also be in my in my walk with Christ, part of planting seeds in other people's life. I know I'm probably not going to ever start a ministry like the Walter Hoving Home, where it's like a huge um, um, estate with you know that can house fifty women. Right. But I can be a seed in someone's life where I can go give them a bag of canned foods or right. gloves and hats and, and say a prayer with them. So if it wasn't for people that were planting seeds throughout my addiction, you know, I mm. don't think I would be where I'm at. And so to be a part of someone's life in even that small amount of time is just huge. Right. So when you left the Walter Hoven home, did you, would you say that you were saved? Yes. Yeah. And so... Because, uh, you know, we, I, I had interviewed Adrian, your, would be your sister-in-law, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And we were talking about that, just that very thing of, a lot of people have this in their mind where I'm saved and so now everything is going to be great, mm, right? Right. Um, but how has that been since, even after you've been saved? 
you know, and yeah. what your relationship has looked like. Um, so with being saved, you, you have a sense of what it's like to have peace. Mm -hmm. You have a sense of like a, um, a, just a, a childlike faith, you know, and it almost honestly, when I was on fire for Christ, it was almost like being high. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's an adrenaline. It, they call, they don't call it a fire for nothing. Mm -hmm. Like it is, I was on fire when I, when I left the Walter Hoving home, I would try doing my devotions every day. And I, tr and I, I try to seek that fire, but that doesn't always last throughout our whole walk. Like mm -hmm. there's times where that fire will kind of, you know, stay a little plateaued a little bit, you right. know? And so there's times where things are difficult and you don't always hear from God, you know? And yeah. like when I left the Walter Hoving home, um, I started to backslide and take back of the things that I originally surrendered. I think because I thought maybe I can handle it. I don't really know what my mind frame was at the time. Mm -hmm. I think everything unraveled really quickly. Um, Do you think not being in, because what I learned is that uh, when you work, well, at least for myself, while working inside of a, let's say, a Christian facility mm -hmm. right where it's yeah. like jesus 24 24 7, 7 yeah right and i know most christians who are listening who's like oh that sounds amazing it, it, it is, is to an extent because it's what, not real what, life it's not real life right and mm -hmm. christians are essentially designed to to go out mm -hmm. and to be persecuted and to to do all these things that christ was doing and it was constant everyone go out and do this and mm -hmm. I, you know, like, for instance, when I was in the Home for Trouble Teens that I was serving in, right? I was mm -hmm. in there for, like, three years straight. Wow. And I just, because I love it. I can do that the rest mm -hmm. of my life. Mm -hmm. But when I left, the first time I heard a person curse, I was like, oh, that's weird. That is such a weird feeling. It really is, though. <laughs> it's so... It really is. I actually yeah. watched, like, one of the first things that I watched that we weren't allowed to watch that was very secular was Sex and the City. I mm -hmm. felt crazy like i was like oh my gosh this is horrible why am i doing this i felt honestly like dirty like yeah. because th but that's the thing though like i think i was testing some of that to see like okay how does it feel to go back and like do some of the things that like are a little more secular because they take all of they make all those decisions for you right. in those kind of places it's yeah. a very safe zone like you mm. you don't you don't have to make those choices they mm. make them for you yeah and I think I I had a hard time transitioning out of that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, those, uh, unfortunately, those goodwilled uh, institutions tend to, to breed people who are uh, self-righteous and um, a lot of young people who have zeal for God but mm -hmm. no direction. And right. it, can, it can come off such, so arrogant. Um, but... That's a whole nother conversation. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, we could talk about that for yeah, another 30 that's, minutes. That's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> that is, but, you know, uh, you know, back to, to Kelly. So you, you're saved. Mm -hmm. um, you, you've 
you met Dan and first, how, how did yeah. you meet Dan? So I met Dan after a time in my addiction, right? I left the Walter Hoving home and right. after I left there, um, I, my addiction got worse. Mm-hmm. So I didn't just, I wasn't just doing pills and stripping and, and stuff like that. I actually lived on the streets shooting heroin, smoking mm-hmm. crack, prostituting. After you left. After I left. After you left. After I left. That shame, knowing Christ's purpose for me, because I do feel like I'm meant to be a missionary and spread the gospel, knowing that I wasn't living that out, I was being disobedient, I was essentially running from Christ, right? Mm. Not running to Christ. That shame kept me further in addiction. Um, I think that was my... um, I think that's that's pretty much what kept me there, that shame, um, for a long time. It was probably like five or six years. Do you, do you think that that shame, like let's say the first time you fell back into something that you did, mm-hmm. do you think that shame was like, oh, look, you're back here now, and it just made it worse and worse, worse and worse? Worse and worse, yeah. It was really bad. Yeah, that the shame is, whoa. So, okay, so what happened after? What happened after um, I bounced around, I tried moving. I would always try to do a geographical change. I found that as a pattern in my life, like mm-hmm. hoping that I'd go find some answer in a different state. So I tried going to Ohio. Um, same thing happened. Um, I attracted um, people who would do drugs, and we kind of just clicked, and I felt like my, you know, like my insecurities go away. I felt like I was getting, I don't know, that persona, like that street life persona came Mm -hmm. out and I felt strong again, not like a baby. Like I didn't feel weak anymore. So that's when, um, I started getting a little more hood, (laughs) um, because I had to survive too. Right. It was like a, it was a defense mechanism. So I really, I really lived a street life. Um, to put it lightly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I moved back to Patterson after that. Uh, I actually Patterson, ended up Jersey, in, right? yeah, yeah, I actually ended up in a mental institution um, for hallucinating and they called 911 on me because I was on the streets just making a fool of myself. They put me in an ambulance and I barely remember it. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the nurses told me I was talking like gibberish. Um, I was screaming for like a Taylor ham, egg and cheese at like 12 o'clock and midnight, like mm-hmm. just really weird stuff. They had to put me on like Librium and Valium and stuff to like calm me down. Um, I left when they released me. Um, they tried to get me into a program, but it was like a, a dual facility for addiction and, and mental illness. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no way. Like, I'm not done. Like, I knew I wasn't done. I actually made that decision. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember saying, like, nope, I don't, I'm not ready yet. Like, I just was just wrapped up there, in the darkness. Yeah. yeah. I moved back to Patterson, New Jersey, and things got even worse where, um, I had um, knives pulled out on me. Um, I actually got um, kidnapped and held captive for um, an amount of time that I'm not even really sure. I know it was like a few days, but I lost track of time. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the most scariest things happened during that time period. And um, I was in and out of Pasay County Jail, Morris County Jail. And um, basically, I thought I was going to die. So I was willing to die, actually. I was like. Let me ask you if you're okay with going into that. Like, mm -hmm, how did that, that being kidnapped? Because I, Mm -hmm. there was a young lady I I used to uh, 
that I had in a program a couple of years ago and she dealt with something similar to that where her boyfriend at the time kept her captive mm-hmm. in the basement of his house mm-hmm. while he lived upstairs with his girlfriend and they both knew. Um, and so what, how did you get there and your mindset, especially cause there's like a, a line of what should be heavy depression and suicidal thoughts. Mm-hmm. Has that plagued you? Yes. In those moments? Because I almost felt like it was my fault anyway. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't even really blaming. I would blame them, the men that would victimize me in a way of like, you know, I hate you. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I blamed myself. So it would just like keep me feeling like helpless pretty right. much. Okay, no, I, I I get that. And so did you ever, in those moments, what was the hardest part of, um, what, what was the hardest part of even being in that situation, being a captive? Uh, knowing that there was, I, 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 nothing you can do. Nothing I can do. I felt like, okay, maybe I might die here. Mm. Maybe I might die. Which, I've actually overdosed before, and um, I had to get Narcan, and I, I've been revived twice at the hospital, and it wasn't even that scary, like, mm. compared to being held captive of what we're talking about. Um, he had a gun, so I felt completely helpless. Mm. Um, the only way I got out was because he went upstairs, and his family lived upstairs, which is really odd that you just said that, mm. um, and they were upstairs upstairs. And I, I can hear them having a good time. And finally, I was just, I just started screaming. And someone that wasn't him came downstairs and opened the door and was like, who are you? Mm. And I was like, peace. Like, I just ran. I ran yeah. out the house. Yeah. Did you ever say anything to him? Like, help me? Or I saw like him on the, on the streets mm. like a few weeks later. And thankfully, I was with somebody that I knew could protect me. So I was like, you know, I screamed a bunch of stuff at him. And... Never saw him again after that. Never, yeah. I, I can imagine it's just complete craziness being in that situation. Such chaos. The hopelessness has got to be nuts. Oh, yeah. yeah. Relying on other men that victimized me to protect me right. was really strange. Yeah. That, you know? that in itself is a crazy mental Concept, thing. yeah. But I'm like, how do you then, and mind you, just so I can understand the mm-hmm. timeline correctly, this is after you've gotten saved, right? After I got saved. So... When you were a captive there, mm-hmm. your conversation with God was like, or was it even one? I was. I didn't even have one. I no. had that much shame. Yeah. I didn't even open that dialogue. Mm-hmm. That's how sad I was. So after you know you escaped and mm-hmm. as time progressed, like where where were you going? Like what were your thoughts? How did you? What was that redeeming time where God was like jail? Jail. Yep. I detoxed in jail. That was the last time I detoxed was um, in jail. Mm. And um, when I got out, I heard of the Vivitrol shot. And so I tried that and I started doing my devotions again. And I opened up the dialogue and it took a long time to even like pray again, you know, um, and I am a prayer warrior. Like I can pray for anybody, but when it, when it came to myself back then, it was so hard. I don't know why maybe my self-worth was so low at that point, but, um, um, I started opening up that dialogue again. And I, when I, I met Dan at a job at a bagel shop 
Um, he was in between jobs. He, he was leaving that job, which is why they were hiring me. So I was hired and he was training me. So we had like a two week window of working together and, um, he introduced me to his sister, Adrian, who brought me to church. Mm. And that's when I surrendered my life again to Christ at that church. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's awesome. And I, I think just listening and thinking about all the stuff that you've been through in those moments and watching God have grace and mercy on you through all that. Cause mm-hmm. sometimes we can feel like, man, you know, I've heard what the first you live without knowing and then you hear what the gospel is and yeah. then the weight of condemnation that hits oh you my the gosh. moment you slip. It's yep. just like, I might as well jump off now because that's what it was like. Right. And so, but you know, there's a, a particular story that I wanted you, you know, if you could kind of talk on is mm-hmm. that you, you had children after yep. two of them. Um, and everything seems to be panning out. Right. And so, but there's something that happens with, your your oldest mm-hmm. that from what i understand kind of challenges what is going on between you and god like yeah. you care to talk about that yeah so you mean when he was like nonverbal and mm-hmm. stuff so um when august was um about two or three i noticed he still wasn't talking so i brought um him to the pediatrician and was like listen like he's not even saying mama or like no like the simple stuff and so of course like i blame myself Mm -hmm. but um and everyone else you know in my family that's not a doctor was like talk to him more talk to him more and i'm like i'm doing the best like i am talking this kid and so um i knew there was something going on i just wasn't sure but i felt like at that time we had already moved down to north carolina so i didn't necessarily have like a huge for like a huge circle of um like a village or anything. Mm-hmm. It was just me and Dan. So when Dan would be at work and I'd be at home and Rose was a baby and August was three, the walls were like kind of closing in on me as a mom. I felt really alone again. And um, I felt insecure because I was a mom. So like a lot of those those emotions that I had before, you know, like that I always struggled with kind of yeah. came back and resurfaced. And if I didn't have my relationship with God, I I might have, you know, kind of like somehow maybe not gone back to an addiction, but like, you know, somehow kind of like really fallen back because mm. it was, it became a dark time again. Yeah. Um, but fortunately, um, I, I started going to church again, which um, my church is an amazing group of people and mm. we prayed hard over August and Eventually, with speech therapy, occupational therapy, play therapy, like, four times a week, that also kept me, like, out of my pajamas, and mm-hmm. it kept me to, like, clean my house, because, yeah. like, sometimes depression can, like, literally be a ball and chain. Like, yeah, it, it can literally it, it cripple kept, you. It kept you from the, the, the self-sabotaging of, like... Right. Yeah, yeah self, exactly. It, it forced me to you know, have to do the dishes and pick up the house and yeah. be presentable for people that were coming in. And um, that sounds really strange. Like, you know, as a mom, it's like you expect the mom to like, you know, do all those things. But when you have crippling depression, you can't even eat sometimes. So. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes the advice of other Christians who, who don't understand how 
sometimes we can be so heavily minded with no earthly good. You've heard that? Yeah. Very Southern term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what I've noticed is that sometimes we tend to say things to each other that are like, for instance, depression. People are like, oh, girl, do you know just... Or you have to just pray more and just uh-huh. read the Bible more. And I'm like, that, those things that you just said are amazing. The problem is, is that you did not help me with no uh, uh, practical things that will get me out of the house. Right. Like steps. Like right. someone to come pick me up, take us out for lunch and go right. to a park. That didn't, that wasn't necessarily happening all right. the time. No. So I was stuck in the house. Right. And, and <laughs> those things, those things are, are heavy. And it's like, no, I have to plan things out like mm-hmm. the scripture is very clear about like the healing the restoring and all, it, it, it touches on everything and it has to be presented in a way that there is things that we can apply to our lives and right. sometimes this the human experience is what is missing from people when they share the gospel sometimes mm-hmm. and I, I think that's something that you were uh figuring out and then sometimes questioning god in those moments it is huge. And the reason I, I bring that out, right, is because you shared with me a poem earlier that I would yeah. if you want to share that. Sure. So uh, when did you write this? I wrote this when, um, right before August went to preschool. Okay. Um, he got, he kept getting evaluated um, by the state. Um, and it felt really weird when he got evaluated because I knew there was something going on. And so I wanted him to show that to them, but I also didn't want anything bad going on. So I wanted him to do good. It was a very weird mixed emotion. Mm -hmm. I wanted them to see the problem, but I didn't want a problem if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I was very torn um, because I needed help. We needed help. We needed resources. Um, so I think I also was questioning who I am in Christ now because before I was a mom, I knew I, I was able to find that in myself, like who I am and who, you know, what, what his will was for me. But then when I had kids, it's like, okay, who am I now that I have kids? Mm. So I wrote this poem kind of like as a reminder to, Look to God for those answers and not the things of this world. Mm -hmm. Even though I needed help with doctors and everything, I needed resources, but I needed to stay calm in God's promises. So I think that was the mindset that I had when I wrote this poem. Mm -hmm. So you can share it. Words are trapped inside and we're losing sleep, analyzing every move and sound you make. Every moment that slips by, a scream or a cry, I can see the pain you talk with your eyes. Open up to his heart and mind. Listen to what he keeps inside. August, just stay calm and breathe. Take a deep breath and sit down with me. I have so many questions. I wonder why. Why he tries and tries, but he'll get worked up and cry. Playing, drawing, counting, and talking. Those are a few, a few of the things you choose not to do. A dream, I dream of the future and what it holds. Will things be okay? That's what I'm told. Is this just a phase? And when will I snap out of this hellish daze? Lord, I need to be changed. Mold me, shape me, shake me, break me. Let's start anew. Every day I wake up, I want to feel you. And in that still, small voice, Kelly, just stay calm and breathe. Take a deep breath and sit down with me. Yeah. And when you wrote that, you felt like your relationship with God was like... If there's a person in the Bible that you can choose to be like, all right, my relationship was like this at this moment, who, who mm-hmm. would you say that it would be? Hmm. 
Well, I, I, I know I'm going to meet Paul in heaven. Like, yeah. if, if, we, if we get to meet any, like, anybody, right. like, I've asked God, like, can right. I please meet Paul? Like, right, please. <laughs> right, like, let me, let me, let me meet Paul and stuff. Um, no, but you know the woman that touched Jesus' garment? Mm-hmm. That's how I felt. Yeah. Like, that in the big crowd of people. Of blood? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And all she did was, like, just reach for his garment because mm-hmm. she had that hope and just touching him and that will heal her. Mm-hmm. And he turned around and said, who touched me? Yeah. That's how I felt. Yeah. You know, what's cool about that story is that her consistency of, mm-hmm. like, could you imagine her, she had the issue of blood for, I think, what, 12 years? Yeah. And she, that, we, we spoke earlier before the podcast and we were just talking about that that feeling of being when someone says oh this this will get better mm-hmm. right like they're talking about when it's over but when you yeah. are living in the moment in it mm-hmm. in the moment it it does it is hard to breathe mm-hmm. it is hard to see and all we have is the hope mm-hmm. that god will guide me through this darkness yep and it's not even like darkness, like, oh, it just got dark. No, it's darkness to where I can't hear nothing. Yeah. Right? Like, mm-hmm. that's that's the type of darkness. And But I think the blessing in that is that that was written in such a really dark time for you mm-hmm. when it came to raising your son, August. Yeah. But now August is talking, He's, playing sports, yeah. doing everything. This kid is good at everything. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this kid is good at everything. Um, and... I think, you know, just like the woman who who touched Jesus, the consistency of you, like, God, please, God, I need this. God, please, how long am I supposed to be in this situation, God, Mm -hmm. before it breaks free? Like, you know, and it's that prayer that, man, even myself, I've had with struggling with different things and I've had to fall on my own knees and cry like, God, how mm-hmm. long am I supposed to be here? God, I come to you every single day. Mm-hmm. And I ask to be free from this, whether it's from my kids or from my family. I'm like, God, for every single day, how long? Like, doesn't your mm-hmm. word say that if I come to you, you would, I'm like, God, how long, you know? Yeah. And it's that, I think it's that consistency that God, like, comes and, blesses us in those moments you know mm-hmm. and then it's almost like a far gone thought because our kids talk too much like, right <laughs> i mean honestly yeah. yeah and and what a blessing it is to tell them like Shh, yo quiet down yeah. <laughs> like, i know because now you're thinking like you mm-hmm. know I, now you're yeah. like telling them to be quiet right. all the time we have to right but i know it's that silence that's just like it's beautiful you know god thank you, you yeah know? And also, like, just going to God in every in every category in life. So Dan and I have not always been financially stable in our marriage either. Like, in those times, too, like, in the time that I'm talking about, I was home every day with the kids because they were so little. Um, so I was a stay-at-home mom, and, and we lived on one income. And those were really hard days, too, like, mm-hmm. financially. So we had a lot. We were getting hit with a lot at that yeah. time. Um, and... And so my prayer wasn't always um, to help August in this moment, but it was also to like, what do, what, who am I going to be? You know, like, am I going to be a stay-at-home mom, but we're not financially stable? Mm-hmm. Like, what do I do with my life? Like, how do I contribute? Like, where is my purpose in this family, pretty mm-hmm. much? Um, he opened that door, too, eventually. It took time, but he did open that door, and that's... That's when I found massage therapy. Mm. Um, I found 
massage as a way to help my trauma. Yeah. Because I have a lot of sexual trauma. I have a lot of trauma with people, you know, just touching me in general. Mm-hmm. Massage is a great way. I know this isn't a podcast about like massage therapy, but no, it helped me heal. And to be able to provide that with people, it also allowed me to help people get out of their pain emotionally and physically. So I started my addiction with pills, right? And I wasn't just, you know, people don't just get hooked on pills because they think it feels good. Like doctors are prescribing them for reasons, yeah. for valid reasons, because, you know, pain exists. Mm-hmm. But I want to provide people a way of, a holistic way of being able to have an option of dealing with that pain instead of going to to something that they could potentially be addicted to and lead right. them in a place where I where I happen to find myself. So um, God also answered that prayer during that time too because I started finding um, scholarships and stuff to go back to school. So that was a beautiful mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, I think that's amazing that you... In order to heal yourself, God is using you to, as a tool, as his tool to reach other people and yep. kind of help with that also. So let me ask you, you know, before we go, mm-hmm. you know, there will be people who are listening, who are in many of the different situations that you've gone through. And for some people, what you described are things they only seen in movies. Yeah, I know? actually have described it like that before. Yeah. And so what would you tell, you know, you know, that young girl who is in that type of relationship where mm-hmm. it is abusive and mm-hmm. she is feeling stuck and she finds herself in there. Or, you know, somebody else who has a kid and their kid has some type of disability that perhaps won't leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're struggling to trust God in those moments and, you know, to deal with that. Um, and just looking back at all the other younger Kellys that yeah. there are out there, what is it that... What do you feel like you could say to them? If that person was the only person on that on this earth, mm. Jesus still would have died on the cross for that person. Mm. I told myself in the beginning of me getting clean, Kelly, and someone told me this once, if you were the only person on this earth, God still would have sent Jesus to die for you on that cross. Mm. Even if you were the only person that he was going to that cross to save. He still would have done it just for you. Mm. That hit me in a way of like, that's some deep love right there. That agape love is like no other love we can ever find on this earth. And he loves us all like that. He doesn't just love me like that. He loves her like that. That's in the abusive relationship. He loves that single father who Mm. doesn't know the answers to everything in life. You know, He, he loves... The the child that's struggling in foster care that doesn't have, you know, a good foundation, he loves everybody like that mm. in such a deep way that he knows all the hairs on our head. He knows every tear that we cry. We can never find that anywhere else on this earth. So if we go to God feeling just a little bit of that love, like receiving that love and we can have that hope and just never give up. And if, if he gives you a vision and a dream of your future, hold on to that. Like, hold, don't ever let that go. One thing that um, when I was at the Walter Hoving home and one of my devotions at the altar, when I fell on my knees and I started crying, 
the one vision that God gave me was me in this beautiful purple flowy dress and he was holding my hands and I never saw Jesus' face. He was always kind of like, he had his back turned, but he would like circle me in like a dance and we would just be like dancing and like floating and it felt like victory to me. It felt like I had made it. I never let go of that vision. Even mm. in my addiction, when I would like be like, am I going to die here? You know, like I would like close my eyes. I would try to remember that vision. Don't ever let go. Like God loves us so much. And Jesus would die on that cross even if you were the only person on this earth. Yeah. Well, Kelly, I think your, your testimony and your family are completely amazing. And I think they are a true testament to, you know, just holding on to that flicker of hope, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and just when I mean, the Bible talks about just having that mustard seed of faith, yep. you know, is crying out to God in those moments and realizing, yeah. you know, like God, he's everyone. God is reaching out to us because he is trying to, not because we deserve it, because he desires to have the relationship right. with us. Mm-hmm. You know, he is the reason like we can be as dirty as we can possibly be, but the worthiness that we just don't have it is superseded by the love of God. That's right. Right. And I think that your family and everything that you've gone through, no matter how traumatic, has just been some crazy, amazing letter that God is going to use to reach so many other younger women and men and families alike. And that's my prayer that today. that he uses that and I know it's not in vain so like when I reflect back and I do stuff like this I don't get angry I don't get um resentful or or I don't have I don't live with regret Mm. you know because if I had to go through all that stuff to relate to the girl that's standing out on the street corner selling her body for crack then it was all worth it. If I can relate to her and I can stand there and feel like I'm equal to her because I used to do the same thing, but God changed my life so he could change hers too. Like that was all worth it. Yeah. So he gets the glory. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, Kelly, it was a pleasure having you. Thank you. Um, It's been an honor. Yeah. There's a lot of questions I have, but we'll have to do this again another time. Part two. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. But, um, Thank you. Thank you. Bye, guys. (laughs) All right, that's it. That's it for the AI4C podcast. And man, I was trying to tell you, Kelly's testimony is amazing and a huge blessing. Kelly's testimony is an example of God's pursuit of the lost. And it doesn't matter how dark of a place you think you're in how dirty you think that you are, how untouchable you think you are. Um, God can save you and redeem you through the blood of Christ if you surrender everything to him and just repent of all your sins. Don't have to be perfect. You just have to be real. Guys, share this episode with your friends, families, and this is AR4C. I am your host, Adam, and we 